hello and welcome to Court Games. Not sure if this is going to go on the RPG or LCG podcast. We'll figure that out. <laughs> I'm one of your co-hosts for this. Like, It's basically a joint effort podcast because I'm one of your yep. co-hosts, uh, Trevor Cuba, K- a.k.a. Kikita Onimaro, joined together by my sister podcast host. Sister po- uh, Yeah, I'm... I'm Kova, otherwise known as Mike, um, from the role-playing game pos- uh, from the role-playing game podcast. So you weren't ready for me to like bat it over to you. You got like GD's conditioned you too much for having a like well-structured, organized podcast. <laughs> you're, I... you're on chaos cast time now, son. I have no idea what's going to happen. So let's go. Yeah, uh, today is a special one because we are joined by a very special guest, uh, Fred Wallen. Fred, introduce yourself, please. Hi there. Uh, my name is Fred Wallen. I was one of the two leads for L5R story team for about 12 years. A long time for L5R. <laughs> so um, so how do you tell people about, like, other than just being the uh, editor and stuff, what, what, what did that entail? How did you get started with L5R in general? Who is Fred Wallen? Sure. Uh, story-wise, um, I was a player. I opened up two Imperial starters way back when the game opened. Uh, I couldn't find a playgroup, so had the two starters and did nothing with them for about two years. Then reconnected with some old friends that I'd lost touch with and started playing. Uh, got involved. This was back when most of L5R's discussion happened on Yahoo groups. It was a long time ago. Uh, I, yeah, I went to events, I did well at them, um, and I participated in discussions. So eventually I got asked if I wanted to try out for the RPG team. Uh, I did, uh, did, you know, some small pieces and then progressively larger ones. And meanwhile, I was playing in tournaments, trying to, you know, win a story prize. Uh, was quite successful at those, but never actually happened to win a story prize because I didn't travel much to events. I only played in the Vancouver and Seattle regions. Mm-hmm. And back then, you just didn't have very many story events. So, like, I'd win, you know, a sword tournament that was, you know, 80 to 100 people, but there was no story prize. Uh, eventually, uh, while I was doing my RPG writing, they uh, added a Vancouver team to the playtest team. And then eventually, after Hida Kisada came back, uh, Eric Devlin, who was brand manager at the time, uh, called me and said one of the things he wanted to look at was how uh, the CCG mechanics and the story weren't staying as convergent as he'd like. And his example specifically was Kisada, who he said, well, look, he's a fortune of persistence. He's 4-chi and has nothing to resist death. He doesn't feel very persistent to me. And I'm like, good point. I gave him some uh, ideas and uh, suggested, here are the things, here's the skill set you want to look for for the person uh, who you pick for this role, right? And at the time, it just didn't occur to me that he was like, well, do you want to do this? And and he's like, well, do you want to do this at the end of that call? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, that's kind of how I became my first title that people would recognize, which was Continuity Editor, which unfortunately is a title that only makes sense if you work on the game. 
because the idea I was, was going to say because every time I would, I would tell people like oh yeah Fred Wood the continuity editor I would then I'd caveat with that so like I have no idea what he did because the continuity was jacked up all the time yeah <laughs> like the the challenge there was the original vision for continuity editor was uh, specifically trying to keep the mechanics of the CCG uh, in line with the story we were trying to tell. So that would involve giving uh, design feedback on, hey, this card is a problem story-wise because, right? Mm. And uh, there were definite times during my, my tenure on the game where different design teams were more or less open to that input. Right. Um, some were very open to it and some members were not, right? And for all viewers who think they know who I'm referring to, uh, I've gone through a lot of design team members, so don't assume I'm talking about any specific one. Mm. Um, and eventually, uh, I also I got promoted on the story side to just being kind of the uh, other lead, with Sean being you know kind of the senior lead. Uh, and in terms of, of division of labor, more of my work was on how do the pieces fit into the universe as a whole, uh, but the reality is like we were coming in you know i came in say six to eight years after the setting had already started we'd already gone through three or four or five lead writers and i think it is fair to say they had different visions yeah so so already my job is to fix or or paper over what previous work has been done where uh the different writers I don't think had as part of their formal tasks try to make it all sound like one creative mind. So continuity was always going to be a challenge, uh, particularly because like, even if something is either subjectively in my mind or objectively in the sense of any reasonable reader would say this makes sense, there are still going to be people who passionately are attached to a particular vision or version of their clan yeah. Who will not agree, who who will be like, you're, you're retconning or you're changing or that's not true to the spirit of my clan or this fiction that was written by this author contradicts what you're saying. Um, and if I point out, well, actually, there are fictions that contradict that too. The fictions just don't line up and I have to choose something going forwards. Um, that is a challenge, right? And oh, yeah, and, as long as that yeah. still happens today, and even I've got a few oh, yeah. of my arguments in my back pocket whenever I come across one of the writers and stuff, like this is just wrong what you're doing right here. I know this is like it's backed up here, here, and here, but it's just a wrong thing that, that's just allowed yeah, yeah. to persist. Yeah, and it, that, that can happen because anytime you have a lot of material in the setting, um, either A, someone will have overlooked it. Or, mm. or it might not be available to everyone anymore, particularly early canon. A lot of early canon uh, is not fully available to everyone, partially because uh, John Wick himself liked saying that these, this, this off, you know, not formally recorded statement by me is a canon, dis, you know, statement of intention of the author. Yeah. Right? But then either you're in the room when he says it or not, right? Yeah. And, uh, I, I, that, that, was a, that was always a challenge to deal with. And that was part of where more of my focus was compared to Sean. 
of just trying to make it all work as much as possible. Um, but That's, that sounds really, really hard to do. It was hard. <laughs> it, was hard. it was hard. And part of it too was recognizing that uh, that's within the context of this being a game and a product where yeah. players can get angry. Even if something's correct, if they don't like it, they can get angry. And to tie it to more modern issues that we didn't deal with as much, but I think are much more topical now. There are parts of L5R that are arguably or are potentially problematic. Yeah. And how you deal with that, uh, particularly if fans are like, don't change things that have been long established, is a real challenge. It is a very topical thing right now. And actually, we this podcast or this interview it originated because i was trying to connect you guys with uh the agent represent folks who are doing some interesting work over on their stuff is there anything that either as an asian person or just as a person in general and with, with your our 2020 hindsight glasses on do you look back do you think like oh those are some things that would have been better or hey this is an issue i had like at the time but i didn't feel like i would win this fight trying to get it changed or anything like that there are lots of things where I wanted to start a fight and knew I would lose. Uh, I, I think one of the big challenges that L5R has to deal with on an ongoing basis is it is a setting that is fundamentally built on a caste system. Yeah. Where the early canon from, say, Wick era, which during the AEG tenure, a lot of players kind of put the Wick era on a pedestal and, like, you're not allowed to change that, right? Mm -hmm. Um or at least we'll leave if you change that, right? Um, yeah. In a caste system, the early canon and the early RPG makes it pretty clear that someone who's lower caste deserves to be lower caste. Yeah. Because of sins in a previous life. Uh, looked at from a more modern context, that is yeah. pro potentially problematic. You can write a setting where literally someone who is lower caste deserves to be so right that that's creatively open to you i'm not sure that is commercially palatable and i'm not sure that that doesn't send a really really dark message yeah because a caste system inherent oh you go ahead mike i mean especially in some of the the older I mean, I'm, I say older stuff, which it's very easy to kind of blame you know, them in the past. It's all their fault. But I think very, in very early days, there was a lot of uh, the caste system was very, very strongly kind of the, the, it was it was phrased very strongly, like literally killing a peasant was more akin to breaking someone's furniture than killing a human being. Well, yeah, in the early phrased. canon, they used a kind of simplified stereotyped version of samurai pop culture setting where killing a peasant is a crime because you are depriving the peasant's liege of valuable property mm. without permission it's, it is it is property destruction right but but that was part of the setting and mm. different clans are defined by how are partially defined by how they relate to the peasantry yeah. And so if I, and I did think about this, although, you know, in retrospect, I would have wanted to have put more formal thought and formal feedback to the players about how we're dealing with this uh, yeah. more openly. Um, because, for example, certain clans traditionally did not treat peasants well, and others did. 
Yeah. If you want to use that as a meaningful distinction between clans, you have to address it on screen. Mm -hmm. But then the baseline has to be the peasants are dirt and deserve to be dirt. Otherwise, the clans that treat them better aren't distinct, right? That's problematic. Or at least, I, I, and I don't, sorry, I don't necessarily mean problematic in the sense of uh, offensive. It could be offensive, and it's certainly something that's emotionally charged and you need to think about. And some fans don't want to hear it. Yeah. I'm all for, and I've got this issue, and you know, all cards on the table, people know that I'm a, I'm a black person, so I have an issue with like how things are represented on screen, and I don't like the idea of like shying away from these things, so we have this caste system, and that's like by our modern standards a very like inherently oppressive thing, and yeah. that's fine as long as it's framed well. It's when you start bringing in the, well, they're there because they deserve it, that's the, that's the, the twist of the knife where things get really uncomfortable there and stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The problem, though, is particularly during the AEG era, players did not like what they saw as a retcon. Actually, right? Like, yeah. it, and, and this is something that I would argue is made uh, crystal clear in the early canon. Yeah. I think there's a, certainly there's a, there was a very kind of 90s, in, in the 90s, there was a lot of, well, depending on how, Grim Dark, I think, is really the thing that people started to, to get into. And actually, not just in role-playing games, but you, know, you, look at, you look at the World of Darkness came out about the same time. Uh, you see a lot of backgrounds, a lot of settings that, were, that had that aesthetic. And a, a lot of people really liked that and were very, very... Uh, passionate about it as well. Yeah, it was in the culture in general. You see that in like the the, the comic books, the Rob Liefeld yeah. with the super Absolutely. muscles and murder everything for no apparent reason. You know, yeah, lots of belts. Um, it, it, but the other thing that is worth looking at too is players were offended if I if when I pointed out flaws of clans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really offended if pointed out a flaw of a clan that corresponds to something the player doesn't like in real life. Nobody mm. wanted to admit that their clan treated peasants poorly. Yes, yeah. yes. That's that's been my thing. There's so many so many well obviously my clan has worked out because they're set my clan's sensible, you see. My clan's sensible has worked out true that you want happy peasants. An insetting flaw that corresponded to a modern sensibility. And yeah, yeah, yeah. no, if like for example, for most of L5R's history, crab players were okay with the characterization that the crab clan does not, as a mm. general proposition, value arts and culture. Yeah, the players were okay with, it. but players of say scorpion. Yeah. We're generally not okay with the idea that, yeah, some Scorpion are just corrupt. The, the excuse yeah. that they use for the greater good of the Empire is a really good cover. But no, what they want is money and power for themselves and their clan. There's no higher ideal. No, yeah, yeah. no, no. All the Scorpion are doing it for the best, betterment of the Empire. Absolutely. The best argument which, they which, had in response isn't, was... Isn't that in... in I'll go for it, Fred. I'm sorry. They, they would say things like, well, we're just keeping our skills in practice. And then I'd say, mm. well, let me get this straight. You're practicing framing innocent people for when you need to frame an innocent person. 
for the good of the empire. The answer is actually because if you want the setting to feel alive and real and believable, mm. then yes, once in a while, the scorpion for the good of the empire do need to frame an innocent person. But what you should have to face and what makes for an interesting role-playing problem is what about all the times where literally all you are doing is ruining an innocent person to keep your skills honed? That's actually yeah. interesting. But it wasn't an easy sell to Scorpion players. And on some level, the game was also a game and a product where even if it's yeah. a good story or a great story, if it doesn't resonate as a product, there are consequences for the game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing where, because you, you want a villain, you want someone to be the bad guy, you want someone to be wrong in what they're doing, but none of the actual playgroups, because especially when, when you, you know, L5R has really said, identify with your clan. So none of those clan groups want to be the one who's wrong or want, want the bad person doing the wrong thing to be from their clan so where do you put your where do you put your bad guy right that and, from then and one of the goals i formalized because like i was i think the only one who was big on here are the rules we're operating under here are the bright lights and i'm going to try to be consistent with them and you can peg these as a metric mm. um, was i wanted every player to be able to point to a clan and say this is something that i like and there's a good rational defense for it yeah it's something i dislike and there's a good rational defense for it both in setting and as a player mm -hmm. and that was a challenge because like there were definitely times where some players would say would disagree with the characterization or were just unwilling to accept the characterization yeah. And, uh, the problem is, like, I think any fan of any single clan should be able to say, I like this clan the most because. Yeah. But I don't think it should be at the point where a player can say, this clan is the best, period, because. Where. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there were times where that was extremely difficult to work with uh, because players would be pushing back and would be like well i'm just quitting the game then hmm. and so one challenge i think is to have players still be fans of the setting in the universe filtered through having a clan preference but not being like there were players who'd say i am a mantis player not an l5r player right and i think hmm. that's actually on a business level because then you can't do anything bad with the Mantis or anything that causes people to not like the Mantis because they're not a fan of L5R, they're a fan of the Mantis. Right? And I mean, yeah, yeah. example, like any, every, any and every clan at various points, depending on the person and the fan. Um, Including the Shadowlands Horde. Yeah, the Shadowlands did no wrong. <laughs> well, one thing that you could say if you were a Shadowlands player is the Shadowlands doesn't lie to itself. Whereas most of them lie to themselves or consciously have their leaders tell their followers things that are not true. The Shadowlands Horde is pretty much we're going to corrupt and eat everything. That's there's an honor yeah. to that. You may be a monster, but at least you're honest about it. <laughs> well, I, well, yeah, but the 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 actual lie I think 
with a lot of Shadowlands players, a lot of the Shad not the players, but the Shadowlands is you have free will. Where really yeah. pretty much everything is subject to the will of Jigoku and subject to the will of Fuleng. But like, no, 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 like, not me. Literally, I'm, I'm free will. So you know, um, but yeah, um, the other the other, like Shadowlands is a good example too. Every clan mm. wanted to say we are fully supportive of the fight against the Shadowlands, and I'm like, that's canonically obviously not true. Yes, yes, because you're doing things. You're not all on the wall, are you? I was that was kind of a weird. Was it? Oh, well, if that I was, was, I was thought that was kind of weird because, like, the Shadowlands are like a very apparent threat, and yeah. they invade every once in a while. But so many of the clans, like in canon, would choose to ignore it. I always thought that was really weird yeah. <laughs> as a player. That's where going back to it, like, I, I think you can construct a society. Um, where that is both true, and that actually means the crab are so successful, there are very few credible witnesses who can give testimony, yeah. right? And every time something gets through, that means by definition the crab failed, right? And what would have been helpful would have been earlier canon, where that no win, that particular aspect of the no win, came up more because it never did, right? Like mm. early, early on there were very few fictions very few compared to during my era right and and there just wasn't bandwidth to deal with that but imagine doing two or three fictions where like you know a crab or two or three or six or a band of inquisitors and witch hunters you know kill hunt down and kill off all the members of a cell but one yeah and that one cell member uh corrupts or taints or desecrates someone or something. And then the courtly clans yeah. do nothing but criticize the witch hunters and inquisitors. Can't you even stop one Mahosukai? You guys are Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That would have been really useful if we'd done as a, a series of fictions where like they only fail once out of like a cult of ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and because no one sees the other nine, because that's the point. Uh, yeah. And then, then you have, you know, an argument, right? But, but that was something players were really, like, just, they wanted their clan, because they knew who the bad guy was, and they wanted their clan to oppose the bad guy. Mm. Right? And that makes sense. Um, but, but... At the same time, that's clearly not what was happening. Well, and, and it was clearly not what was happening when I came on and I could change that status quo. But again, then, and, and to some extent we did where more of the clans were more on board with the, th- you know, opposing the threat generally. But I think mm. a lot of it, it is, it's something where the Shadowlands is just the most blatant example, right? There yeah. are lots of little examples where um, you want to recognize something that's true in universe but the players have better information than the characters do. Yeah. And the players have a more idealized view of their clans than the characters living in the setting do. And there were often things that were um, not ideal about various clans that players would accept to greater or lesser extent. 
Okay, because that's kind of interesting to me because I like I get the word like the the you get from the fans not accepting things, but me and I came in like mid celestial, and the feedback I was getting from like official sources, be it fictions or the source material from the books and stuff, where like at some point it feels like everyone just acquiesced to what the standards were, and I think that made things worse in the long run. Because then you had things that, like, it was at one point was a fan would fight against it. Now it's gospel, and that's how you end up with things like, oh, a clan like the unicorn aren't just like the uh, the best at Calvary. It, at near the end, it was like they're the only ones who do Calvary, and yes. every other clan has like one horse among them. You know, well, that was actually <laughs> war horses. That was part of the early canon too. I, I think part of it is we wanted to genuinely have player input that's that was it um another was for most of the time i was working on the game the kind of story and ip role was kind of seen as a marketing thing not the essence of the product yeah 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 and i would argue that viewed through a modern lens um the better way and more profitable way to look at it would be the core of the product is the ip Everything else is just an expression of the IP to make mm. it, right? But I think earlier the game saw each the product as each of the product lines. And and I'm not even saying that was necessarily wrong because I don't know the underlying business calculations. But that made story kind of subservient to quarterlies. Yeah. And that meant the ability to push back against the players are saying they want this my there would be times where i'd say no but the good of the setting and the ongoing interest in the brand requires us to do this instead which does mean making the players angry in the short term um was not always successful here's a question for you on this uh when you say the players i know like you you're, you're not saying all players as a monolith and stuff but whenever like like, hey, the fans are giving us feedback. How well does like does the inner arguments among the fan base? Because given any topic, you know, you have some people who are for, some people who are in the middle, some people who are against, and everything in between. And usually, like any like out like Elf of R, the sky's always falling. This has been true for years, but it's always like a real vocal minority that seems to be pushing that boat. Though, how what were the inner discussions about? Like, oh, there's only three people yelling about this, but they're really loud about it. That was that was something where uh, one of it's one of the things I have talked with about my video game friends, where uh, our ability to get metrics were limited, right? Because mm. people at the table, people playing their RPG games, particularly Zen, did not have a systematic way to provide feedback to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would be on all the clan forums, uh, often lurking because I found that posting and reminding people I was there sometimes changed what they had to say. Uh, I asked people, I have a variety of friends from a variety of geographic regions. Um, I would, you know, uh, make sure the other story team and RPG team members that I was in contact with asked around as well. But in terms of systematic feedback, the problem was the forums, which were the dominant way to post both the clan forums and the AG forums, um, it, it almost inevitably means just the people who are posting are, are able to give feedback because yeah. if you're not posting, 
if you're not getting it to us, then you're not giving us feedback, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. and we didn't have a systematic way to receive feedback. Like people, people knew that I was approachable, but the only way you'd know that is if you'd had some kind of encounter with me, either online or in person, right? And mm. and so that was an action. That was just a straight up challenge. Uh, and I think that is something any setting where player input is meant to be major is particularly sensitive to. Uh, I think it's also important to know generally what people like and why. But the why matters about as much as the what. And because yeah. if you just know that players like a certain thing but not the why, you can do the wrong thing with that group. So that's something I think tabletop traditionally does struggle with. I think it is one of the reasons why having in-person cons is good because it's a chance for people to have a discussion with you and tell you in like detail what yeah. they think and why. Um, things like our winter court play-by-form uh, RPG sessions were good too because you saw what was causing players to be passionate and mm. what they felt. And it, there was a level of authenticity to it because they weren't being asked. People, people respond differently when you explicitly ask them a question as opposed to when they just organically do something. And so, you know, that, that was it too. But I think it was an area where we just struggled a bit because uh, systematic feedback in RPGs is not a thing. In okay, table. No. <laughs> Would you say that the Winter Court was good feedback then? Because if I recall, uh, Winter Court 3 and 4 started well and then they both kind of like historically crashed and burned. I don't know what happened to the fan run well, Winter Court 5. I think it depends on what you, what you think the objectives were of Winter Court. I think people had a memorable and generally good time for, for most mm. of the players, right? So that, that was the core core. Um, in which case I think all of them were a success. Now, in terms of using them as feedback, that wasn't the primary purpose. I, I thought we picked up a few good things. Um, I think in terms of giving players who were not CCGers a way to input the story, it was successful. Although particularly towards the later ones, there were sometimes where players wanted everything they did to become canonized or were trying to be like, look at me, look at me, canonize this. Uh, I also yeah. think there were some times where players did stuff that was so far divergent from canon, there was never a chance for it to be canonized, but then they'd be sad that what they did was not canonized. Um, plus, we had a few players do very big screw-ups, and, mm. and those those screw-ups were like, I remember in Winter Court 1, one player just dramatically got outmaneuvered and then badly misplayed. And to the point where they had to be asked to leave, um, but their 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 misplay was so disastrous that if we canonized it, it would have ruined their clan. And other players were angry that we that in our, their minds we were shielding the clan from the justified results of being outmaneuvered, and that we were favoring them with with the player perception. Right. And I'm like, we can't do this because, well. I won't, I won't necessarily put the name on, but I'll talk, to, like one incident which showed up in the setting, so I feel it's okay, was the player banned their own clan from showing up in Winter Court during the event. 
And they happened to be the highest ranked character that was active at that point in time. And we're like, we have to fix this because we can't let one player not let 10 players play. Yeah. Or it was more than 10. Um, uh, and I mean, you know, in the meantime, they were working at around having meetings in, you know, courtyards and other places. But I'm like, this is really going to dramatically input the fun factor of everyone else playing that clan. Plus, setting-wise, the character that is being played would not make this level of misplay. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a question. Is it a, is it a misplay or is it very much like a very logical thing that that character would do in setting, but for game reasons, they no, can't no, make no, that No, 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 no. The character would not have done, like, uh, no, 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 no. It wasn't even, it wasn't even borderline. It was okay. <laughs> the the player had been outmaneuvered politically, mm. and their response was to insult the chancellor in open court. Mm. Uh, I vaguely recall this incident. Honestly, I was dealing with my own. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I feel like I can give some details. It's been long enough ago. So, um, the it was the Crane Clan had uh, decided to. Uh, form a unit to defend the capital because this was like with the, the cons march we knew was happening but had right, right. been like the characters didn't yet so there was a certain amount of player knowledge blurring into character knowledge but hey setting up a unit to defend the capital seems in setting appropriate anyways right yeah um, and they were like every clan should uh second troops to this unit and we'll start because we came up with the idea right and so yeah so this was all approved by the chancellor, and then the chancellor appointed a scorpion to lead the unit because, because favoritism is a thing, right? Yeah. Um, the crane player then said the crane is withdrawing all of the troops that promised to the unit. Right? Now, now keep in mind that at this point, the scorpion have not actually done anything that is openly adversarial. Right. Right. Um, so the chancellor says, but this was your idea. Does the word of the crane mean so little? Um, the, the crane player then said, you haggle like a fishmonger. <laughs> oh, and all of this is an open court, right? Like in front of everyone. So yeah, yeah. the chancellor then banishes the character from his presence. The, char the player then says, well, the crane are boycotting court. Now, it's it's important to note that this was happening in I believe Kyuden Otomo when Kyuden Otomo was set in Crane Lands because there was a point in time where uh, one of the Imperial families was in the Crane territories, but it was yeah. Crane hosted Winter Court, and so you've got like a Crane player banishing the crane from court <laughs> so i can see a crab doing that but a crane right. and, and, and I, I but here's the thing though in terms of how we could fix it the crane player's yeah. suggestion was have uh is it otek uh, otohime um it was have one of the high-ranking imperials criticize the chancellor and forcibly reinstate the crane was what the other character suggestion for fixing this was and i'm like that doesn't make sense because the person who got outmaneuvered here was not the scorpion yeah yeah and the imperials don't flex their authority in that way and the player just you know kind of 
left. Um, but but like other players were kind of upset that we didn't have in setting this crane character meltdown. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think a crane that crane character would have screwed up that badly. Sure. Well, then, then we get into the situation of like, you know, people are allowed to fail and then fa face the uh, the ramifications for their own actions. You know, that's that's a very realistic thing. And like shielding people from that is like a, a um, you know, where we hold start holding people as like um, the clans become restrictive in that nature. Right. Because like you're like, like we're boxing them into these archetypes, you know, like yeah. just look at Kuanan. You can be a, a, a high ranking crane and be a total screw up. <laughs> Here the challenge really was um, the player had a misapprehension as to who gave the first insult. Be yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even appointing a scorpion to lead the unit is not an insult. It's just choosing who's going to lead the, a unit assigned to defend the imperial capital. Right? That's I mean it's obviously questionable and probably favoritism, but it's not an insult to the crane. Yeah. Uh, openly saying this is a terrible idea to your own idea, yeah, is just kind of weird, and and so the rebuke there is not an insult in the way Rokugan understands an insult. It's actually legitimate judgment from a superior, and then you openly insult one of the highest ranking people in court openly yeah. unprovoked um and in fact not even unprovoked you insult them when they're responding to a wrong that you yourself instigated yes um it, it kind of goes back into what we we're saying earlier about how we that players can't stand the idea of their clans or in this case their characters losing and that causes weird outlashes mm. in areas you know what i mean Weirdly enough, it, it seems to me that from a role-playing perspective, having your character come up with this neat idea and then having a scorpion kind of co-opt it, if you're looking at it from the lens of an interesting RP experience, that's actually kind of cool, right? Like, you're probably a little frustrated, but that means, that also means now the scorpion has a vested interest in not screwing up this unit that you created. Yeah. Um, but if you look at it from, say, an adversarial tabletop perspective, then you got outmaneuvered and you didn't get your your big win, right? Um, and so that that kind of just leads into my general philosophy of tabletop role playing too, which is, in my mind, everyone's job at the table is to contribute to themselves and everyone else having a memorable, generally positive time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that and how you get there is something you mutually negotiate together. Uh, one of the, but that's that's something about like. I like about small tabletop groups, right? The, the objectives in, say, a play-by-forum clan-based thing might be different. They might legitimately be yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. But, but role-playing generally, I, I think, is about a mutually satisfactory experience. Um, and if you view it through that lens, even getting beaten by another character can be kind of fun. Sure, sure, I think get that. Yeah. How do you think a good way that's been done in the past or could be done in the future. So the RPG players often complain that they have far, far less opportunities to affect the major canon than the card game players do. 
Additionally, they'll also cite that, you know, not all the card game players play the game actually care about the lore that they're changing and just kind of make changes willy-nilly. How do you feel about that? Like, what can the RPG players do uh, to really help? And how about the the, uh, the uh, almost <laughs> random or highly, like, suspect way that the card game winners can sometimes win in the past? I don't know how much of that is a live question nowadays, because mm. ending as FFG just doesn't have as many opportunities of any kind for the players to directly meaningfully change the direction of the story. That's yeah. not necessarily a criticism either. Um, I mean, personally, I think what we, what we had in terms of that level of actual agency was special. Um, but there are some legitimate product line reasons and writing reasons why it's certainly easier to organize logistically to yeah. have that. So I think on some level that is a bit of a moot point now um, because that's just not the direction DIP is going under FFG right now. I mean, if they, if they decide to go back and then change the structure so that players have a, a lot of meaningful input, that's different. But my understanding is right now you have a few single events where you can vote or have uh, a winner decision or so on. But it, I, I think the level of opportunities is just less now. Um, yeah. It's a lot easier for the writing team. Like it's a lot easier not having to not know who the emperor is going to be, right? Like, uh, yeah. so there are definitely uh, process advantages. Um, but but I just think unfortunately that question nowadays is you have the same amount as the most CCG players, which is none. Yeah, yeah. Do do you feel that the fact that L five R is both a card game and a role playing game can cause problems that you it's difficult to write a setting where it's a card game. And it's a role-playing game that they can interfere with one another. I, I actually don't think so. I think what people need to recognize on the design side and on the play side is most characters and most clans represents a basket of characteristics and ideals that can be represented and defined in multiple ways. Mm. A very, very good contemporary example of that from video games is from Riot Games's Runeterra universe, which is League of Legends. Right. League of Legends is a MOBA, right? Five on five. Uh, about a year ago now, less than a year ago, they released a card game set in the same universe with the same characters. Some of the characters are, are portrayed me mecha mechanistically very differently, but are still the same character. Right. And it's just that the idea is to be true to the underlying narrative lore or narrative truth of the character in the context of whatever medium you're presenting them in, because games are a medium, right? They're not message in and of themselves. Right. So, so what you do is you have to recognize that the same character can be expressed in radically different ways in different mediums. And that's something that requires designer flexibility and player literacy. Um, and that's, that's, something you can we're beginning to be able to take more and more for granted among players generally because player sophistication is growing over the years right yeah but but it can be a real challenge when someone's like but that card is 12 force they should have a certain amount of strength 
And I'm like, well, not necessarily, because this person's force represents their tactical acumen, right? Notice how their battle skill is off the charts, right? Um, yeah. That sort of thing is metaphoric, but that's because the underlying basket of who the character is, is uh, a metaphor, right? Like, same way most people can say whether or not a given rendition of Batman is true to Batman, mm. but they're not all the same Batman, and they're not all yeah. dressed the same way. And I think that's that's true, too, in RPG CCG. Uh, some mecha- some individual mechanics and elements are easier to express in one or the other. Yeah. But I don't think it inherently creates problems unless player or designer is excessively tied to literally transferring a character from one medium to the other. We actually had kind of a, a cultural whiplash in the new L5R not too long ago. So if you remember, the Crane Clan would always have like a military value between zero and negative one traditionally. Um, and now the new game, they have like military and political prowess on two different lines. Um, and they have much more, like all the families are separate. So when the Kikita characters started coming out in mass like halfway through the game's life and they came up with red numbers they're like what are all these crane doings with such big military numbers like kikita are really good at fighting <laughs> yeah and it's it's one of those things where different games different expressions right like yeah the, the like one of the things i liked about um original l5r that i think is expressed differently in new l5r and i'm not as literate in new l5r is having force and chi kind of the way it was showed like force was generally a general battlefield and single combat was chi right right um so you didn't necessarily have this notion that this person was you know wading through armies like legions and legions of people whereas if you use the, the the military and political stats now, yeah, in order to be a good personal combatant, you also have to be able to wade through an army, which mm-hmm. is a different aesthetic, right? It it leads more towards the Kikita as an anime swordsman or, or swords person rather than a duelist, right? Yeah. Because a, a modern popular sensibility is someone who's a duelist is automatically by extension able to do what uh, the bride and kill bill does. Yeah. But that's not necessarily how you want it in the setting. If it is how you want it in the setting, great, right? Then then make mechanics accordingly. Um, but it doesn't have to be. And, and that's something where I think we never put as much formal, explicit, transparent thought into it as we should have, because that's you know uh, uh, an element where like i like the idea that the daidoji are the rocks of the crane and their job is to stall for time it's not even to win it's to make sure that the politicians and the courtiers and the deal makers have enough time to do their thing and that your job isn't glorious and that it, but it is heroic and it is noble. If you start portraying the crane as able to just straight up win, then that actually detracts from the importance of the Daidoshi. That, like, if you've ever seen Babylon 5, 
Yeah. There is uh, one of the movies starts with Emperor Molari. Yeah, spoilers. Yeah. Talking about the Earth Mimbari War. Not the Earth Mimbari War. Yeah, the Earth Mimbari War. Yeah. And he talks about how the humans went out and kept losing. But they fought nobly. They fought bravely. They hugged their loved ones and would go back into the field of fire knowing they were going to die. And yeah. his only hope was that when his time came, he would come out and go out with the same courage that the humans did. Mm. That's the essence of the Daidoji. At least that's how I always envisioned it. It is heroic. Because you're there trying to stall for one more day because you know that, it, that there is going to be a butcher's bill for this attack that you're fending off. And your job is to keep the butcher's bill smaller. You have an interesting thing that's actually kind of resonant in, you know, as the new L5R is like revising, looking at like, it's a kind of a new thing. We could start fixing some things. So what are some issues and stuff? Uh, the nature of how uh, L5R, Arukugani Samurai, interacts with death, sacrifice, and seppuku. Um, how do you feel that has been, you know, in relation to, you know, historical accuracy one, uh, a, a fictional, uh, story beat two, and real life, like, you know, suicide interactions, uh, repercussions three, or maybe that should be number one, actually. How do you feel about all that? Throw them all together a bit because I think my answers are are not going to be easily kind of pulled aside. Um, I think let's start with how I envision seppuku within the setting, right? I haven't actually kept up with how they do it now because uh, I, I I I stopped following it regularly before the RPG came out. Um, in old L5R, seppuku. Okay, so first point, it's a setting which considers living in shame to be a worse punishment than death. Yeah. That's, that was long established by the time I came on board, and uh, I didn't think I could change that without dramatically changing the setting. Uh, so I never actually thought about it at the time. Um, I think it's a very stereotypical portrayal of such an a, a quote-unquote Asian setting. Um, I think there are some potential problems there, but it's also very distinct. I think one of the things FFG had the opportunity to do was if they wanted to change it, they could have, because yeah. clean reboot is the time to do it if you're going to do it at all. Um, but let me let me put a pin in that and, and go on to my next thought. Uh, in, within the setting, seppuku is a boon. It is a boon granted to a vassal by a leech. The idea of seppuku is this is penance for a wrong so that the punishment is accepted wholly by the person committing seppuku and nothing is passed on legally. Socially separate question, right? Um, 
So within that context, and this is something that, that I think we consistently got right in canon, but players would often forget. A liege does not request that the seppuku, that the vassal commit seppuku. The vassal who has failed in some otherwise unforgivable way humbly begs for the opportunity to spare their family. Because the idea is, if you don't get that opportunity, the entire family is disgraced. So it's trading your life for your family's honor. And the liege, who would otherwise just dismiss you, grants this in ex because it's a recognition of a lifetime of otherwise honorable and meritorious service. It's clemency. That was how I think seppuku works within the setting in, in old L5R. And, and so it was an act of suicide, but I think... I think it would be also fair to say it was an act of sacrifice to take on your children in particular's dishonor that's your fault um, so that they don't have to. Are there some uncomfortable issues in relation to suicide? Possibly. Um, but I think if you characterize it that way, it is conceptually distinct from, say, suicide born of depression. Yeah. Because a request for seppuku is much closer to an act of heroic sacrifice than it is what we would say someone who is suffering from uh, um, emergent trauma or mental health issues is going through. It's a different set of calculations. It is more like someone saying, uh, you shall not pass to the Balrog. Yeah. It's, it's the equivalent of the captain going down with a ship, which for those who don't know, the reason the captain would go down with a ship is because a captain, a ship captain rarely had the money to own their ship. It was actually like leased out by another company. And if the captain came home, he would, him and his whole family would be indebted all that money. However, if the captain died along with uh, when the ship sank, then his family would be free from all that debt. And that's where that saying comes from. So I get the thing, you know. Well, if you look at seppuku from that lens, I think there are still uncomfortable parallels that you need to think about. But I'm not sure it it's in the same mental and emotional space as suicide even though it is an act of suicide mm. um but but the fact that i note that it is an act of suicide also means you can't escape those issues um but i think it needs to be viewed in light of that's what the original narrative intent was now how accurate is that historically good question right um i think I think by the time I came on, I was more concerned a like with what is the accuracy within L5R? Mm. Because there'd been enough L5R of its own that I don't think a, a close parallel would with the actual reality of samurai culture in Japan was that helpful. Uh, particularly because I would argue that early L5R was not as true to Japan as some people would say it was. 
And so it is, a, but that, that itself is something where you should have a real question of, is that okay? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, have, I have opinions. But and I think we should. We should have informed, reflected upon opinions about, is that okay? Right? And I don't know. Um, I don't know if I would agree with it if I was designing it from scratch, but I also mm. wasn't designing it from scratch. And my understanding of my role at the time was I was more a caretaker of an existing brand rather than someone who was like entitled to recraft foundational points of the setting. I think, like I said, when they were doing a relaunch and a reboot, that was the best time if they wanted to. I like your headspace about what your role and responsibility to, that. to the setting was. Because me as like the like the lowest rung of lowly fan and stuff, I feel in my heart it's like, oh, I'm going to change this game to my <laughs> how I want it to be. Change it all. <laughs> yeah, I've got angry emails in the in the, in the no, canon. I, I, have, I have talks about this sort of question with other designers, mm. and. It, it's it's not an easy question because if something is legitimately problematic, then you can't hide behind your just a caretaker. You actually should probably change it. But you also yeah. but if but also if you don't own the IP, it's not as simple as I'm just going to change it, right? Mm. Um, and like I I don't think I ever at the time thought about dramatically redoing seppuku. Uh, and I would need to think further. Right now, I'm not entirely convinced that it's so problematic that it needs to be dramatically altered. But I do think the understanding that it's not, oh, it's a suicide, is correct, right? I think like the, the way I've just spelled it out, that it's a sacrifice to spare your next of kin, um, it, is, it is, and within the setting of this, fictional universe it's viewed the same way someone going off to fight a losing battle so everyone else can retreat mm. um it's viewed in that light uh might help but i need to think further about it i don't think like and this is a sort of issue where you should you should actually go back periodically and revisit it because our understanding of social issues evolves right like yeah. l5r is now about a 25 year old property and there yeah, are things have changed. Yeah, and, and and our social understanding of issues has changed and evolved and progressed, right? So oh, yeah. um, I actually did a college paper on this subject specifically. So one of these days I'm gonna actually have like, you know, a TED talk about this particular issue <laughs> because it is because it does have interesting things about the history of like how uh seppuku and self-sacrifice evolved from like just as the concept of what is a samurai evolved over the like what nine to fourteen hundred years that this cast has existed and changed over that time it's a very evolving thing and how people today like japan right now has very high suicide rates um and a lot of that uh like is not the same as a samurai committing seppuku but the cultural impact of that set of behavior being glorified has definitely had an impact on modern Japanese society. Um, but it's a, it's a much larger discussion that we're going to have today and stuff. Uh, but it's something like the game industry is beginning to be aware and beginning to reflect 
and some people some individuals much more than beginning right but the industry as a yeah, whole yeah. is beginning to become aware of issues like that and and that they should be thought about and worked on and reflected on right like yeah i like i like the the podcast you mentioned i i sent them a dm they just never got back to me it could be it could be that like most people they might ignore dms from people who aren't personal friends right um but uh it's it's a real it's a real question and yeah like i mean there's lots of issues around suicide in like japan i understand too the working week is quite a bit longer than it is say here um among other things but that was how narratively i envisioned seppuku and keep in mind it is also in a setting where you know you know as a kind of scientific objective verifiable reality that there is an afterlife and that people are accessible so mm-hmm. it 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 changes the math significantly but does that yeah. mean it escapes being potentially problematic no no not at all um but at least that's how i i would look at it in in the topic of hindsight or the of like what your role as the continuity editor was can you think of any incidents where you put down your foot and said no we shan't be doing this once the idea got put on the table and stuff specifically if you can like i know i'm putting on the spot like you could think of it like something based on your own personal experience you say like listen my particular walk of life has led me to believe like this is not something that we should go forward with is we're going to make this decision. You got any stories like that? As I ambush you with this question? Uh, there is. I'm trying to think about it because there's something almost on the tip of my tongue and I need a moment to put my memories in order because it was a, a long time ago. Um, well, through the, through the magic of editing, uh, it'll sound like you knew exactly immediately. So it'll be great. Okay, so I'll start with a general one while I try to remember the really specific one. Uh, right before I got promoted and was still just a playtester, please put the just as in air quotes, right? Um, mm. The Dawn of the Empire set was being playtested. And this was, and I was still a playtester when the Harrier card game mechanics were being devised. And the Harriers, for mechanical reasons, and the Harrier liaisons, all had very high personal honor, which is wrong. Like, it's absolutely yeah. wrong. There is, there is no good justification for that. Um, and so one of the first things I had to do as continuity editor, before I was, you know, a, the story lead, just when I was only wearing the continuity editor hat, was come up with an explanation for why the Harriers had threes and fours. And why Doshi Hayaku, who predated the Harriers and, in my view, would not approve of their existence, yeah. um, had the Harrier trait. And I'll explain, I'll go back and explain why he wouldn't approve of their existence, uh, probably later this interview. Um, and so that's where we came up with the, where we adopted the CCG mechanic, uh, the RPG mechanic of perceived honor. Mm. But ultimately, I was not happy with the idea that the Harriers were A, primarily an honor generating mechanic in the CCG as a whole, and B, that they had high personal honor because it just created such conflicting signals. Yeah. Um, 
And that is something where if I had been promoted a little bit earlier, I would have said, find another way. I'm now maybe design would have said we can't, and we need this mechanic. Uh, yeah. but then I'm like, okay, then call them something else, which we eventually yeah. did. Right. We, for a while, we just glass off the Harriers and called them scouts. Right. Um, but, but like people whose job is to literally poison wells that are used by civilians should not be for personal honor. Yeah. No. <laughs> when, when your job description is throw a dead possum into a well, you are not for personal honor. Um, and that is something where uh, I, I protested as a play tester, but there was no obligation to listen to me, and they didn't. Uh, yeah. Um, just to finish off this anecdote, because I said I would, um, Doji Hayaku, founder of the Daidoji, right? He yep. went off to find his lady Doji was brokenhearted after the crane thunder never came back. And yep. so he went off to find something to take back to her so she could have closure, right? And he eventually, I think, returns the sword to Lady Doji, uh, but is so affected by his experiences that he, I believe he never speaks again and uh, some of his hair turns white. Yeah. There's several yeah. account accounts of what happened. Yeah. <laughs> but... There are multiple accounts, but I'm summarizing because we don't need to get into all the details, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some Crane players would say he'd approve of the Harriers. And I'm like, no, no, no. He sacrifices himself. The Harriers sacrifice the Crane clan's honor. At least mm. old, in the old version. The new version may be different, right? Because the Harriers as a group, A, are treasonous. They're not just dishonorable. They're treasonous. There is a difference. And B, they only use their skills against the Empire. They never actually use their skills against the Shadowlands. Mm. And, so, and they do it for the benefit of the crane. And they're funded, yeah. and then they're funded and operate with the knowledge and approval of the crane, daimyo, the, the crane champion. They're treasonous. Right, gunpowder is banned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weapon, right? Uh, so Doji Hayaku would not. Doji Hayaku would have seen the Harriers as weak. You're so unprepared to make the necessary sacrifices that you cheat, and that you undercut the essence of the crane, because you can't win the hard way. That's how most of the founders of the crane would see the Harriers. At least publicly, some of them, some of them might well secretly be okay with it, but, but uh, that's why the Harriers aren't a public to the crane. Yeah, because there would be going back to seppuku within the rules of the setting, there would be some crane characters asking for permission to protest. Yeah, because the mere existence of the Harriers tells the Kakita, you don't actually trust our swordsmanship, because if you did, we wouldn't need these characters. If you trusted our ability to win duels to settle disputes, you wouldn't need a bunch of traitors wearing our colors. Although the Harriers don't actually wear crane colors either. Um, <laughs> they do and, in the character art, they do. <laughs> and the Harriers, yeah. the Harriers also, as the Harriers' existence means we don't have faith in the Daidoji. We don't believe the Daidoji can buy us the days we need. We don't believe the crane courtiers can actually get peace in time. That's how, in the old setting, 
um, I think, was a very interesting and nuanced group because you could actually have a group that exists like that. Um, that turns out we didn't have enough communications bandwidth to get the nuanced story out there. And because mm. many players were like, the Harriers are G.I. Joe. And I'm like, no, the Harriers are Cobra. They're a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Yeah. And they run away from fair fights. Have oh. you played that new game, Ghost of Tsushima? Because your description of the Harrier sounds a lot like the thesis of that video game that just came out. I don't actually own a console. I really should fix that sometime. I do on my PC. It's. I need to. Yeah, I'm. I'm much the same. I'm kind of all these people playing this gorgeous samurai game, and I'm going. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, also most of my gaming right now is roguelikes and CCGs, and mm. you don't need a console for either. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so uh, okay, so that was the Harrier bit. Anything where I really put my foot down? There, um, I'm trying to remember the other example. Oh, the Dark Virtues was one that I, I really had a fight on and lost. Um, uh, just because I, the, the, idea of a parallel set of virtues that were that were comparably uh comprehensive and meaningful as bushido when i thought we hadn't even established bushido strongly enough yet was i thought too like just not a good time yeah and obviously because they were printed well there you go right and yeah, yeah. i think that made the the role and centrality of bushido within the setting harder to define uh i also think uh, another example, actually, most of these examples are ones where I was not successful. Um, <laughs> uh, Come me. We had unfortunate clan naming and unfortunate clan associations because as an elemental concept, Phoenix and the dra elemental dragons should be more closely aligned than the dra dragon clan and the dragons. But the dragon clan and the rings as philosophies are more closely aligned. So they're, plus Togashi himself is a dragon. Like, just yeah. Just the fact that those are dragons uh, resulted in a lot more complexity than there needed to be. Again, set long before I came on board. Yeah. Um, let me keep thinking as we keep talking. There are examples, yeah. but, but many of them were, I raised this objection. Uh, I was not successful. And in retrospect, I would argue that, it, that I should have been, I should have won because I was right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But... Um, so we're, we're talking a little bit before the thing, uh, the podcast, and I don't know some recent episodes yeah. of the Last Province. Uh, Robert Denton uh, has been recounting some stories. You know, we're not naming names or whatever, uh, but he's talking about so like, hey, there was some issues where everyone behind the scenes were like, no, let's not do this. This is wrong and or stupid, and they just got like overwritten by. And some of them are like legitimate like sometimes they're just like logistical issues sometimes like the way the card game works you get some issues which i think is more how the harrier situation became what it was because it's mm -hmm. very hard to make it a primarily honor running clan and then have like this group of dishonorable people running around but sometimes it's just like who's got the final say in this and why are we doing this <laughs> the reality is different people at different points in the game's life cycle had final say yeah I would observe that it was almost never me. Uh, and that's not sour grapes either. It's just, you know, I'm 
I'm someone who doesn't even live in the same city as the core of the company, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think it is accurate to say that even when we were trying to make story central to the game, that the final decision maker was almost never story team. Uh, yeah. And I think that was something that is okay, actually, but you need to have someone representing story at the table when the final decision is made. Like the rule should be, you have to listen. You don't have to follow, but you have to listen. Depending on the era, they didn't always formally stop to say, what do you think? And that I think is a mistake. Uh, it's kind of a catch-all. So, and speaking of someone as like you yourself, like many people involved in L5R uh, professionally, you came from the fan community and stuff. How do you think of the growth and evolution of L5R, you know, being like, let's be all be honest, a very characteristic, very like not well thought out, you know, kind of like almost insulting in some ways property. And as I would argue, as the fans have gotten more interactive, put their uh, their fingerprints in there, it has grown. And we've done as a community a large part to kind of like buffer out the issues like culturally or, you know, feminist issues or LGBTQ issues and stuff. How do you think we've grown and what could we do better? Do you have any opinions on that? Open any questions. Yeah, um, some of them are vague because you need specific examples to crystallize. Um, I think, like, we can talk about Kachiko and the Seductresses and the Scorpion um, in general. One, I think another was, particularly during the early parts of L5R, um, there was a very nasty and uh, ugly pejorative going around that the Crane clans were homosexuals and that was bad. Yeah. And that's problematic on like so many layered levels mm. um, that I'm glad we grew out of it. I'm sad it took as long as it did. And I'm not even, okay, I'm, I'm not aware of what the current environment is like. I hope that's not still the case. If it is, that is a problem. Not from my perspective. Yeah, I, I, I think it's mostly gone. But, I, but yeah, I think you still hear it. Was it was never it. okay. Um, and, the, and the clarity of how not okay it was and how it was never okay is clearer now. But it was never okay. Yeah. I think more we're at this at the point right now where it's like the broad stroke bad issues are basically gone, and now we're like mostly fo hammering on on like what are like the things that like seem okay at a passing glance, but then you ask someone else like, oh no, that's actually really a problem. Like kind of like getting into the nitty gritty and stuff. Like some of them are baked into the setting. Like yeah, um, sure. The the racist nature of Rokugan is potentially very problematic or it might not be but it's something everyone should think about because like the the characters in the setting are um actively bigoted against other cultures and racism mm. actively and uh how okay is that do you want this to be a feature of your fictional universe and your individual uh tabletop rpg campaigns is something yeah. that GMs, players, and designers should think about, right? Like, I, I'm not even saying I know what the answer is, but it's definitely something that you can't just shrug at. Um, the 
there is a certain amount of blah, 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 bloodline, blah, 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 right? Where bloodline yeah. really matters, which again is potentially very problematic or might not be, but again, reflect on it. And those are baked into the setting, right? Like, I, I think mm. it's unrecognizable as L5R or, or it's so different that I'm not sure why you would use CIP if you change it. But I think it is fair to say it is part of the setting, right? Like, um, Shugenja aptitude running in certain bloodlines. Yeah. It has an issue there, right? Like, how different is that from being a Jedi? Not, but is then being a Jedi potentially problematic? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. I remember when people were shocked and horrified to discover that Rey may not be one of the great Jedi bloodlines, which I believe they rapidly kind of dialed back on. But yeah, yeah no, right. the same thing. Yeah, it, it comes in certain bloodlines. Does that mean that certain people are just better and at a genetic level? That's that your I, I, oh, I recall yeah. near the end of the of the old L5R when the game wanted a conflict between the unicorn and the phoenix, and they <gasps> yeah. accidentally fell into a, a eugenics-like cleansing. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, I remember what happened there. Um, a, a clan letter went out without being sent to me for review. It was sent out by someone who wasn't a regular member of the story team. And the normal process was nothing goes out. Well, the ideal, which unfortunately we broke more than a few times, was nothing goes out without a story team senior member, usually me, mm. reviewing it. That one didn't go out with review. And by the time like, someone told me, it was already out. And I'm like, oh, well, that completely recharacterizes in a negative way what we're trying to do here. Thank you. Um, yeah. And... Like, but there's no taking it back at that point, right? Like, the and the the writer was trying to write it in a very intensely subjective in setting sort of way, mm. and I get that, but that's where someone is supposed to be responsible for the the broader how is the player base going to take this? And maybe yeah. it might have even slipped past me if I had reviewed it, but, I, but there, was, there was no chance to do so. Um, and so, uh, I th at least that's how I recall it. I could be misremembering everything because it's been a long time. Um, but like the idea was there was a curse. Mm. Um, but if, a cur if it's a curse that goes down a bloodline, then it still sounds very eugenics-esque. Right. Um, regardless of whether you say it's actually a genetic or uh, a magical thing that happens to follow genetics. I mean, I think I think I, I, you can you can spin it as the person doing the curse. They're being a eugenicist scumbag. They're bad and they shouldn't have done that. How right. dare they? But the way it came across, because I, that's how I that's what it valid. came across that's as. all valid um i and i think yeah. that's something where uh like same way when we had the reincarnation of shinjo happened to not be a shinjo family member right players were angry mm. uh, at least at least shinjo fans were angry uh and i'm like but the family of the reincarnated kami of the unicorn 
is going to be of the appropriate family. Yeah. It should be seen as a statement that the appropriate family happens to not be the Shinjo right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But Shinjo players didn't see it that way at all. Right? Yeah. Where there, they were like, no, bloodline, bloodline, bloodline. Right? Um, mm. Same way, I always found it kind of amusing how uh, when Yuri Tomo Kuniko and Kitao were fighting for the championship of the Mantis, Mantis players were like, well, obviously Kumiko deserves it because she's Yuri Tomo's daughter. And I'm Which... like, well, of all the clans to not use that yes. argument? Yes, yes. Um, and, but, but Yuri Tomo was like a kami to the Mantis way before he was a kami. <laughs> yes, that's an so, excellent way of putting it, yes. So... Yuri Tomo came down from heaven. He was born. No, he came down from heaven. Look at those back. abs. Look at those arms. <laughs> Yeah, the no glorious hero. leader Yoritomo. The stronger, the more arrows you put in his arm, the more arrows. <laughs> versions of Yoritomo had no arrows in the arms. The the world beater experienced one Yoritomo from the Day of Thunder, which for many, many, for a long period of time was the strongest version of Yoritomo. Later versions eventually overcame that as we made higher cost guys better. But Yoritomo yeah. X1, like something like three arrows in each arm. Just absolute, like, you do not want to face them on the battlefield sort of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, like, any setting that has heredity, yeah, uh, like, that's why D&D is re-examining uh, racial bonuses. Mm. Right? Because, like, on some level, there are certain traits that are genetic, right? Predisposition yeah. to allergies. Um, height, you know, certain things are, certain things are not. <laughs> and uh, implying that certain desirable traits are genetic is definitely something that should be done uh, with an eye towards what kind of message you're sending. But, you know, individual players might not want to think about it. They just might want to be thinking about their gaming table. But I think it is yeah. on the designer to be aware that there are issues there waiting in the wings and uh you know is it possible to have a problematic setting that is still okay yes right or to have characters do problematic things yes but then you need to mm. you probably need to be good at showing that those are problematic so players don't accidentally yeah. think these yeah. are okay it's something I always have a personal relationship because, like I mentioned before, like uh, as uh, someone who's black, um, whenever there's something a, a game, an RPG that takes place in the American history, and then everyone suddenly not being racist, I actually find that like more offensive than if like the you know everyone's just being super blatantly bigoted right now. So like, are you guys all pretending like things didn't happen? You know what I mean? Or, or this this other thing that was unrelated magically made everyone move past racism. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. De Deadlands has that in that the Civil War is still going on in America in the, like the 1880s, I think. Well, um, the Confederate states have successfully succeeded, or at least like they have not been because of all the other stuff that happened. Yeah, there's... Yeah. Now, having said that, I, I'm not I've actually written one story for Doomtown, but I, I'm not a super deep knowledgeable person about the no, but, but a lot of settings do kind of have some unrelated mysterious thing get rid of racism. 
on the one hand, portraying racism as normal within the setting without critically examining it is problematic, yeah. right? On the other, it takes significant bandwidth to critically examine. Mm. And, and if you're not going to be able to do a good job of it, doing a bad job in some ways is worse. Like, like these are all choices and they should be made consciously. Um, One of the things I really like in L5R is the Ryoko Owari box set, which like at the core of it and through many aspects of it is dealing with how the characters in different clans deal with issues of the peasantry. Um, like it's still an issue of like the, the setting assumes that they are downtrodden people and stuff. And it goes into like, well, how much power and influence do they have? How much do individual people really like, you know, deal with these issues and what are the consequences thereof? Like, um, I, I think L5R would have benefited from like an entire source book devoted to playing a not samurai. Which we now have. Yeah, we just, it just came out like a couple months ago. Good, good. Um, the other thing that I always wanted to do but never got a chance to do was to do an actual Merchant's Guide to Rokugan. <laughs> you'd have to call it... You'd have to definitely call it the Colat source book. Yeah, right? <laughs> I actually things like, we only talk about money and economy here. Like Things like, how, how, how can a samurai not afford... How can a samurai not pay attention to finances and still get by? Right or yeah 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 what, I mean I mean what causes trade true, true. yeah stuff like that really helpful to running a campaign um and it was I always uh, was a little bit sad that the Merchant's Guide to Rokugan was an actual Merchant's Guide um because, uh, yeah because I, I think I, it was so it was so funny because we'll publish this thing we'll call it the Merchant's Guide no one's going to want to buy it because who wants to play a merchant in Rokugan and we will hide the the, the Kodak source beginning it'll be brilliant. Loads of people went. I want a merchant's guide. What are you doing? Um, I mean, at the same time, I also thought that particular Colot book. Uh, one of one of the other story team members who I'm not going to out just because I think they're totally right, but I haven't previously asked for permission. Pointed out right. if the Colot are as written in the merchant's guide, if they haven't taken over the world, they're incompetent. Well, that that's a problem because that's literally the problem with the Colat is that they never achieve anything. Even the times when they get what they want, as in there's a human, there's a non-hante on the throne. Rule of man, rule of man. We didn't do a single thing to help this happen. Well, and the ways are written in that book. They have the ability to do flawless brainwashing that turns you into a shell sleeper agent. Yeah. That you can't tell and cannot be undone. And they can spy on anything. Uh, why haven't they won? No. And, oh dear. you know, then there's the argument, well, that secretly Togashi has been presenting them. And I'm like, but the book also says Togashi only prevents them from infiltrating the dragon. Yeah. So, so then, then you get into this, this weird argument of, is everything really Togashi's will? Um, and even if not, why haven't they won? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because... You know, that, that's the problem with certain kinds of powers. Uh, and it, like, weirdly enough, powers like that are easier to write in a CCG without taking over the setting because you can have a really powerful, expensive, like a Colot Master card that costs 20 gold and can take anything, right? Yeah. That doesn't automatically create the impression that they should have won. 
But the way their sleeper programming was described in, in Merchant's Guide, mm. why haven't they won? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a more extreme issue that the Scorpion clan has as well, because it's a matter of like, sure, on paper, you guys are like on the underhand looking for like deeper criminals, which, hey, how come you never haven't found the Colot yet and dealt with that issue? But like, you're always plotting, you're always getting caught in your plots, you're always like, you know, you betray people, sure, but you know, betray your, when you betray people, you leave around witnesses and remember, oh, remember, it's Scorpion not trustworthy. So you, after a yeah. couple hundred years, you're like, why does anyone not trust would trust you? Why does it like yeeted out of the, the empire or crushed outright? No one likes you. <laughs> what are you well, guys yeah. doing? Like, a lot of players understood the whole scorpion don't portray their true friends thing but uh, not a lot of players not even a lot of scorpion players um really were willing to acknowledge a scorpion lie about who their true friends are right it wasn't like magically that a scorpion would only tell a true friend you're my true friend yeah and it was like the scorpion are loyal to their true friends absolutely but the scorpion fake everything so you don't even know for sure whether the scorpion really values you until it's too late. Yeah. Um, but the scorpion don't casually betray because that would be dumb. The scorpion are not stupid. Oh, and a lot of RPG players, they certainly do. Right, but no, <laughs> an, effective scorpion, an effective scorpion is willing to sacrifice on principle but if you sacrifice on principle willy-nilly, there's no sacrifice and you can't hold a lot. Like you can hold out against people that you had to make a sacrifice because they couldn't. Yeah. If people think of you as a scumbag, then you don't even have that lever, right? Like if, if you are hanging out with a mixed party for whatever reason and the crane and lion genuinely believe, rightly or wrongly, that you actually secretly want to be honorable but can't because of circumstance... And then you have to murder someone because they can't be seen with blood on their hands. But hey, you're a scorpion. No one's going to value that anyways, right? Mm. They'll feel like they owe you one. But yeah. if, you're, if you're a ha 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 ha, I'm going to go kill them guy, then or person, and then someone has to be the designated murderer in the party, they're not going to yeah. feel like they owed you one. So scorpion are really manipulative jerks uh, as a clan. But they're really manipulative jerks. And part of that is not letting everyone else believe that you are the manipulative one. You're just the one who's wrongly been stereotyped because everyone has this impression that the scorpion are bad people. Really, you want to aspire to be better, but because of tragic life and the prejudices of others, you're, stuff, you're stuck doing the things that no one else can. Why? Because that makes them owe you more. The family who I think solved this the best, and I think I like it even more because it was essentially a fan-made creation, were the Susumu. If you recall, by Winter Court 4, they had just made the splat book where the Susumu were a playable yeah. uh, family, but the lore was not established yet of, like, this is just after the, the time jump of what they were about and what their major philosophies were. So the yeah. Winter Court 4 players kind of invented it, and they created a family who were just like, listen, yes, we are part of the Spider, we are service of the Dark Lord, and we will take over the Empire eventually. But in the meantime, I'm just going to be perfectly nice perfectly honest and they never actually betrayed anyone and they're just like we don't like you because you're a spider you're evil it's like yes i get that you know sure would you, you would you like some tea <laughs> i'll drink it first if you think it's poisoned <laughs> and yeah, they're just so aggressively nice it was hilarious 
yeah, and and I think that is an interesting way to play a villain, right? Like, I think Garrick from Deep Space Nine is another example of someone who is a pretty good archetype of some of the aspects of a scorpion. Like, why do they keep him around? Because they he has some legitimately useful skills that no one else has or will admit to having. Yeah. Um, but but the challenge is in a setting which is not rule of law, which is rule of tradition, any of the clans that have as a brand identity a lack of adherence to tradition is going to be correctly perceived by the other clans as flaky, flaky and unreliable at best. Mm. And that was something else that was very difficult to communicate to players. Uh, but any clan that's about individual decision making or follow your your individual or your clan's ways, not those of the empire, the rest of yeah. the would be like, but then we don't know how you're going to react, which means you're unreliable and you're ex- erratic by our standards. And that's an actual problem because in real life even, um, if I'm going to have ongoing relationships with you family to family, I kind of need to know how you're going to respond to things. And for any clan that might randomly, to my view, do something for reasons I don't understand without forewarning, that's bad. That's just yeah, yeah, yeah. bad. Um, here's, a, here's a loaded question for you. That's on brand. Um, the dragon. Do they have a purpose or slash theme? Now, I know the history, and the way I heard it was the dragon were, at the start of the game, were supposed to be like the secret villains uh, that would be eventually revealed to be like the, the like the season two bad guys. Uh, but then they were so popular that it ended up not. And it always felt, this is like 20 years later, 25 years later, that the dragon like don't really have a purpose. Like they have this paper thin, like, oh, we're mysterious. They were about philosophy and all these other things, but no real kind of follow through. What's up with that? Am I wrong? I think there were different visions of the dragon depending on the year. I think I I have not actually met and talked with John Wick or Ree. I've met most of the people who came after them. Um, my secondhand kind of cobbled together from what was written canonically rather than actual conversations is I always got the impression that at least in Clan War, Dragon's Clan's entire purpose was Togashi created this to be their tools, to his tool, to be his tools, mm-hmm. to forward his objectives. Which, because of the story arc being written really originally to end at Day of Thunder, wasn't intended to go beyond that. Yeah, um, yeah, which 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 has caused some interesting things. I feel narratively, I would argue that the Dragon are the only clan in the setting that can mean it when they say follow your own path which is really powerful and really should be really appealing to someone who grows up in modern earth yeah uh the downside though is they legitimately are erratic compared to the other clans from the perspective Mm. of the other clans because yeah I'll give an example from a hypothetical rather than like something that actually happened in the setting. So imagine that you, the three of us, are going into battle, uh, and it's the night before, and we expect at least one or two of us to not make it back. Yeah. 
I'm a lion and I say, no matter what happens, all of your kids will be cared for. Mm. As a lion, you know, you know that no matter what happens, your kids are going to be protected, nurtured, schooled, maybe even to the detriment of my own. Because mm. That's how seriously the lion take an obligation of honor. Yeah. Uh, with the dragon, you actually don't know that that's what'll happen. You know what'll happen is whoever is tasked with making the decision will take my words into account, but then come to their own analysis of whether it is for some kind of good that your kids be cared for equally or well. You're not sure what I actually mean. You, sorry, you might even be sure what I mean because you and I might be friends, yeah. but you're not sure how that's going to be interpreted by the actual decision maker. Mm. A, dra a dragon might come to the conclusion like, well, I'm going to throw your kids off of a cliff because it's better for them to die than to live in such a harsh world. Not that extreme. <laughs> but, but for example... If with a lion, you have a very good idea of what a lion means by taken care of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a dragon, you don't know if they'll be turned into some kind of weird person who thinks physical evidence is more important than a testimony, or have their head shaved, yeah. or what. And that means, though, you don't have that knowledge and certainty and comfort. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. clan level, right? Now, the other thing is narratively, Dragon is by design or was kind of by design, the clan that internally had the least cohesion within the families. Like yeah. families actually would actively, if they weren't both Dragon, not get along. Particularly like the Kitsuki and the Togashi. The Kitsuki are about the idea that certain things are true. Mm. The Togashi question whether there is such a thing as objective truth. Like the Kitsuki are about the empirical method. The Togashi are about um, high level, not silly or stupid, but intuition and yeah, 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 and and the idea that you find your own path. And the Kitsuki are like, no, there is one path. The Kitsuki is the way. And, yeah, yeah. and that would be, if I had a chance to construct them again from scratch, trying to be true to the original, I would consciously make their clan identity that they are a bunch of families that are unified in purpose, even though the, their individual paths would in no way go in the same direction otherwise. I mean, if you compare the like the Tsugashi and the Miramoto, the Miramoto are a very standard samurai family in very many ways. And they're having to somehow make sense of the weirdness that the Tsugashi get up to. Or, or at least translate that into something everyone else understands. Yeah. And like, I can even see, you know, the average mid-level Miramoto saying, this is what the Togashi said. And then, you know, the crane is like, what? And the Toga and the Miramoto rolls their eyes and be like, "Yeah, let's get a drink." <laughs> and you know, because and that would actually be interesting too, right? Um, but so that was one aspect. The other is um, to what extent do you tie the Dragon Clan to Togashi? 
like specifically Togashi. And there are a bunch of issues going in a variety of different directions, right? Um, and, and then that also ties into what is the nature of Togashi, which is always something that was controversial then, now, and will always be because, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's very powerful to say we are directly guided by one of the founding county. Mm. On the other, it creates narrative issues if he's omniscient and beneficent and active. Yeah. So um, those are issues that can be uh, uh, held in a variety of different ways. And I think um, the Dragon players made their views obvious and well-known and quite loud. Uh, and, you know, there's there's good reason for that. But at the same time, I think it's a matter of constructing it. So you you want to show what restrictions, if any, there are on his nature. And for example, there's no guarantee that uh, Togashi, Togashi's view of the good of humanity is necessarily the same as, say, a human's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Now, the question is then, do you say Togashi is right? Objectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there you can actually have really good narrative tension. Um, but you have to have a willingness to have tension, right? And, mm. and for example, imagine if you had a dragon loyalist who's like, I'm a big dragon fan, but on this one, I disagree with Togashi. And then, like, I think we, we weren't successful at navigating that, or at least not as much as I wanted, because I think there you actually have a real, like, a really interesting point. Like, what happens, one of the things I actually wanted to do, but it would have taken way too much bandwidth and fictional right. focus would be what happens if the dragon clan decides to be true to his teachings, we have to abandon him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The values and ideals and ideas that he has instilled on us, we still hold true. We still value have wisdom. And part of that is outgrowing him. Yes. Um, but but I think and, I would have had. What do we do if he different? Yeah, and and then what do you do if says you know we have outgrown you and you know we're finally moving on and he, and, he, and his only reply is, oh thank God, it takes so long. Yeah, but that's something where like a I think some of the other choices I made creatively kind of mm. closed that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I also think uh, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been uncontroversial too, because I think he's in particularly in the original first dead canon, he is active, beneficent and omniscient. And then that puts you into a very difficult way. Like how can you outgrow that? Right? Like I think you can only outgrow that if there's some point of divergence in vision. And that means implicitly or explicitly you you have to, you have to challenge probably the beneficence or his activity, right? So, but it was it was sort of a thing where I think I think there were a variety of ways to handle it, and I definitely would have handled Togashi as an issue at least a little bit differently looking back on it. But yeah, yeah the dragon as a clan. Um, the other thing is I, I I use the word tools of Togashi intentionally. They weren't his allies; they were his tools. Yeah. And um, that has aspects that should be darker, 
that I'm sure that my recollection at the time was uh, uh, many of the Dragon Flare base didn't want. They they wanted to be his allies, but not his tools. And I'm like, but that's not true to the original canon. But that's not how they remembered it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of in that line, and like we're having this really good philosophical discussion about the nature and stuff, but like more practically, because I don't think this has been very clear, you really got to ask, how does Togashi work in regards to his body swapping? Does, you know, if if you're prepping little baby Yokuni to become the new vessel of Togashi, does he know that going in? Um, Does Togashi completely erase the person that was yokuni or is togashi like a plus one that kind of exists when this in this person is yokuni still an individual an individual and i mean that was that was retconned a lot wasn't it and and then what's the nature of it like when he sires children what's how does that factor in yeah like I, 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 if that was one of the many things I was stuck working with, but wasn't on the ground floor of designing. Um, my view is the most narratively interesting way to make this work, which is not necessarily what people want to hear, right? Like narratively interesting and so on is he kills the person, mm-hmm. whether or not it's soul obliteration, separate question, but I think the canon's pretty clear it's killed, not soul obliterates. Um, B, based on his general pattern of behavior, he tells you or not based on what he thinks will best get his end result that's desired. Um, Because the early canon makes it pretty clear in my mind, again, people will disagree. People definitely told me they disagreed. Togashi's early pattern of behavior, uh, based on like the wit canon, which is what people prefer to use as primary canon, um, he would tell you exactly what he wanted you to know. And uh, no more and no less than that. And so if he thought you needed to know everything, he'd tell you. If he thought partial truth was sufficient, he'd tell you that. Or it was not, sorry, not sufficient. Was the right way to get the desired end result, he'd tell you that. Um, Then, but if you get into that, then we get into really interesting questions about the existence of Kokujin. Because Kokujin was also... Uh, a vessel yeah. who, who saw Togashi's true nature and ran away, right? Now, the question is, going back to if Togashi is that powerful, how come Kokujin was allowed to run away? Right? And the best answer, I think, is let's leave that as a very ominous question for players to answer for themselves subjectively without answering it on the screen. Um, but some players really don't like that. <laughs> both yeah. in and out of dragon right because the darkest of all interpretations is pretty dark yeah um and and lighter interpretations are are different and require a certain amount of finessing and double think i actually think that's okay but i also think that's not what majority of players wanted i think players wanted it answered um and to be true to the original canon goes into an alley that I think many players did not, particularly many dragon players didn't like, right? Um, mm. Because like, you have to keep in mind, Hitomi invited Kokujin back to the dragon clan. Yeah. And he accepted. And that means he was coexisting with the rest of the dragon clan. Um, and there are implications about not just Hitomi, but the rest of the Dragon Clan, the fact that he was accepted. 
that mm. we didn't it was during a period during which there was very little fiction right but like if you look at that as a universe that says something about the dragon clan right and kokujin was never redeemed ever <laughs> um and so she was using some of his techniques she was he was her yeah. advisor right so what does that say right um and if you go back to he was created by Togashi, does that mean he intentionally let Kokujin see his true nature run off so he'd have all these dark insights to teach Hitomi? And if that is the plan, then where does that put the agency and culpability for all the souls that were stolen or ruined by Kokujin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? All of those are actually really good questions. And... And it's okay to say, yeah, but it was justified because end result, right? Where I think there was dissonance, though, was that players, some players wanted to say, it's all justified, but there was no bad. And I'm like, yeah. there was bad. And still legitimately argue it was all justified, because if you're going to kill the moon, you need prep. Um, but, but then... If if there is credit to Hitomi and Togashi for the end result of killing the moon and uh, making the darkness beatable, you still then have to be like, but the means they chose to get there is still relevant for analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the justification that Phoenix players use for like, yeah, the council had to keep opening black scrolls. If you go back, go back to the original canon, though, Nobody knew about the prophecy of the seven thunders except Togashi and Shinsei, and neither of them was talking. Right? Like the mm. canon is crystal clear. The Phoenix are the ones who discover and spread the prophecy. So sometime in the last thousand years, the prophecy was forgotten, right? Um so yeah, they had like legitimately the, the answer the Phoenix player should have is we wouldn't have known about the day of thunder except for the Phoenix. That's the mm. canon answer. Um, most players don't know that at all. And that I think really did hurt the Phoenix's positioning because like if everyone, if as the players do, if the players all know about the prophecy, they assume the characters all knew about the prophecy, then why do you open the black scrolls? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but if you accept like the canon says, that the, the, the phoenix are the ones who discover the prophecy and how to beat fooling, then that recontextualizes opening the Black Scrolls. We're actually dealing with that something very similar in the current fiction, like the one that just released like two days ago. Oh no, yesterday, wasn't it? Something like that. Uh, where the characters are all getting bits of information about a big uh, controversy that happened. And yeah. they're taking the evidence and making their own assumptions about what that evidence means and going the completely wrong way with it <laughs> that's human that that makes sense that's yeah. <laughs> fine right um and and i think that's where the wonderful nature of oral storytelling or or particularly back then um because keep in mind you know 20 25 years ago the internet was existent but it wasn't as omnipresent no not even remotely and so accuracy of transmission of information and people's willingness to go to original source materials um, was lower. Although I know, you know, 
uh, Kaze Noshiro had the original uh, fictions and box texts and, and uh, instruction book texts. People just didn't go to them. Mm. I'd, I'd point this out, and people people were so tied to the quote unquote reality of the council opening the Black Scrolls for power for so long that they would reject the actual canon and then say it was a retcon. What kind of situation? Like, how do you feel about the fan? Like, fan demand causes the story to be non-existent or nonsensical. We've talked about it before. Like, the biggest example in my mind is Hida Kasada, where because Hida Kasada is popular, he keeps getting roped into like the dumbest storylines. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I think this goes back to seeing story as marketing and not story as uh, as the core of the brand. Um, I think if you see story as a core as a brand, then certain things are never offered and certain things are off the table because the integrity of the story as the ongoing thing that draws people into the universe is paramount. If story as marketing or story as mechanism to move other products is paramount, then the positioning is different and the weighting is different. And then you get the, I want to offer something big as the paramount consideration. Yeah. And so I think that was more the problem than fans necessarily wanting nonsensical things. Um, I think that was a problem. Uh, there were certain times where fans would want things that were inappropriate or uh, silly. And I say inappropriate in that like, you know, people who wanted uh, vulgar language as names for characters. Mm. Uh, uh, and there were a few other ones that I won't talk about on, on recording where I'm just like, no, no, this is obviously inappropriate, even though mm. it's only inappropriate to the people who know the full story. But no. Um, but I think the real challenge was, you know, uh, one thing that we needed more of was to when there were multiple times where story prizes were announced without mm. someone asking, well, me, is this implementable in a logical way? Yeah. And I, I remember more than once being finding out the same time players did that a certain event would have a certain prize. And I'm like, you can't do that. And it was too late. Um, so because like the other thing is I, I, I'm, I was very comfortable working with people to try to make something that was mutually satisfactory. But but some players didn't like that. Some players wanted player 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 requests should be dominant, right? Um, uh, and it's a lot more work. Right? It took a lot more time doing direct feedback crafting, and there'd be times where things just wouldn't work in terms of mechanics, or they'd have unreasonable asks, or and and I don't say that lightly, but some asks were not reasonable. Um, yeah, no near the end, it became a really big issue as, you know, AEG as a company was just handing out story prizes kind of willy-nilly. So not no one of them actually added up to almost anything. And the ones that were theoretically big decisions, uh, after they got, because they would like offer questions that were, or uh, prizes that were so open-ended that they would inevitably have to be like shaved down to fit into the narrative that it felt almost like a completely different thing. Like, well, they're just going to do what they want to do anyway. Yeah. yeah, that was a real issue. And and like I say, um, I, I personally think there are consequences with using story as marketing. 
Mm. Um, or story as prize in the sense of, you know, the prime, like the primary role of story is to grant prizes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, like, again, I'm not saying this wasn't a justify an analysis made for business reasons, because I wasn't part of those discussions. I just think for integrity of story, if story is closer to your core, um, you need to more actively involve story in those discussions, right? About what prizes, how, when. Um, but I still think having meaningful and material player input is a good thing and is special, right? Like it's unique. No other game did that. And I say did, unfortunately, because I, I think, um, you know, the current product is very good. The writers are excellent. Um, and part of that is you've created a structure where it's easier to write better, right? And timelines yeah. that are more realistic. Um, but there is a, and I think what you need is more resources and more uh, decision-making infrastructure if you want to have both great fictions and meaningful uh, player input. I think it is doable. It's just, it requires a level of commitment uh, that actually is, is resource intensive, both in hours and potentially dollars. Um, and I'm not sure business-wise if that's the right call. Uh, I haven't been asked to make that decision and I don't have the necessary data to make that decision. Mm-hmm. But uh, like, I, I thought like what we did was unique and um, I am sad to see that that particular aspect is not a major part of the current product. At least that's my understanding, right? Like that there aren't very many opportunities to affect the story and that they are uh, in some ways less material than they used to be. Yeah. You get like two or three choices a year and they're kind of like fairly low ish impact. Um, and the FFG has uh, stated a few times that they don't have any really intention of changing that model anytime soon and stuff, which is unfortunate because I think a lot of people will look back at things like the mega game, the race for the throne mega game as like one of the greatest ways to get the community just completely hyped up and like engaged with everything from the card yeah. game to the RPG to everything. Yeah, like, I, I think my understanding, again, you know, from friends more than anything, is that the game is still successful. Um, but the level of intensity of hype during the high points isn't the same in kind from what we had. And that can be fine, right? Because I think, you know... Um, I, I don't have their numbers, but I have no indications that the brand is not successful. Um, and they've got novelists and spinoff products and so on. In some ways, they might even be significantly more successful. I don't know. But I also note, too, that Old O5R existed in a different period in gaming history, right? Like, yeah. I think CCGs generally were bigger during some of the eras Old O5R was. I think, you know, I know Magic has been very successful, but... I don't think most non-Magic CCGs have been huge unless they were digital. Yeah, most of the card games that are not digital, 
they have like really kept a skit in the game because they have some sort of like other product leading into it. Like Yu-Gi-Oh's got a cartoon, Pokemon's got a cartoon. There's very few card games that are really like up there that don't have like some other thing that are like feeding players in there, you know? Yeah, like I I I was taking a look not that long ago at the Transformers CCG, which unfortunately has been discontinued. And I mean it's tied to Transformers, right? But that was really neat CCG uh with like one of the weird things was it one one of the things that interested me the most was the physical design of some of the combiner cards because the cards had hinges on them so that so like like most of the cards had two sides you know robot and alt mode the combiners had a hinge on them so that you could fold the card for when the combiner was in part of the bigger robot mode and nice. I'm just like, that's cool. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, but that's even the that, game that uh, that uh, Alphavar veteran Case Kiyonaga ended up working yeah, on. Yeah, Case Kiyonaga, he, he, he worked on it, yeah. And uh, really, like, neat game. Uh, I, I never really got into it that big because the local stores' play date just didn't work with my schedule. But very few analog CCGs you know, it's just harder. And I, I, I get it. LCG, different. But really, um, not different, not that different in target market. Mm. Different. And there are some distinctions. Um, and the LCG model has some upsides over the CCG model. Um, but I... Well, well after, after the success of Keyforge, I think uh, if FFG is reconsidering all of their card game models right now. <laughs> How well how has Keyforge done? From what I hear, it's made like millions of dollars. You know, interesting. And that's like the it's not a collectible game, but it's a game that where you have to buy. Like, I would buy yeah, yeah. L5R every week if I had a reason to, but I don't. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm familiar with the broad strokes. I, it's just I'm very reluctant to use any particular single store as, you know, the guide point. And like locally, Keyforge is. Um, at least in the in the stores that I visit regularly, Keyforge is not like a featured item anymore. Interesting, yeah, and, and I don't question that either. I, I think it's just different places have different wants. Mm. I I like limited play, but I don't like limited play with like literally open up your sealed and play. I actually like having a little bit of deck construction. Yeah, we've had to recently retrofit L5R uh, to be work as a draft format because it isn't inherently a draft game. But uh, but I tell you what, Fred, it's been about two hours now. I think it's a pretty good time to wrap up and stuff. We don't have a strict deadline and stuff. Uh, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners to? Anyone else you want to say like, "Hey, L5R is not my fault," or any kind of like projects you're working on right now? What do you got on your mind? Yeah. Is so there anything you want to plug? Well, most of my work right now is uh, some consulting on video games, which will come out when it comes out. And I do writing for some like RPGs and CCGs. Uh, I did a fiction for Doomtown. That's a little dated now. I may be doing something in the intermediate future. We'll see. Um, I also work on the Mutants and Masterminds RPG. Uh, and there are a few other things that are in various states of can't announce yet. Um, there you go. Uh, my My level of Frequency of work is definitely lower since working on L5R. It was a real pleasure. Like it was a 
maybe a once in a career sort of opportunity to have to work on L5R during that period, right? Uh, I love the mm -hmm. setting. I love, uh, I, like, I'm deeply indebted to it and the players. And I hope people continue to enjoy the setting and the characters in the universe, right? Like, it's, I made a lot of friends because of this, and I'm super glad. I definitely hear you there. <laughs> So, Cover, since I haven't been around in a while, you want to take us out? Do you have the spiel ready? I have a bit of a spiel. Um, this has been a Core Games podcast. We are funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord community Patreon, which will uh, pay for our website costs and our renting costs and all sorts of good stuff like that. So the more you support us, the more we can do things like this. And we also have like sneak peeks, uh, early access to various podcasts, and we also have the role-playing game and LCG podcasts and two actual play role-playing game podcasts, which are Crimson Gold Agnes, Fortune and Strife. You can find us at courtgamespod.com. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod and on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. Well, there you have it. Fred, thank yeah, you so much for your time. Yes, thank you very much. My pleasure. Much. I, Fascinating. I don't know what else that we could have covered, but I'm always happy. To, <laughs> like, oh. I'm always happy to go over it to the extent people care. I just don't know how much of the new canon has uh, overwritten or retconned or diverged from the old canon. Oh, yeah, kind of. It, 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 I, I think all the changes I have to say are all in the positive, and it's more in the vein yeah, of yeah. like not trying to overwrite thing or just like fixing things that never made sense to begin with for the most part mm. so it's pretty good uh one of these yeah. days i have to invite you back because i always have like a three-hour rant about dueling in my back pocket <laughs> so i guarantee i've got something to talk about oh for sure and like dueling was always interesting because like i'm i'm a lawyer and so how rokugan does dispute resolution has been something that i think is worth a lot of examination, but that's because I'm yeah. here. Um, <laughs> and like the role of testimony versus physical evidence and why everyone else ignores Sakitsuki or, or downplays Sakitsuki method is something that's really interesting to me. And I think it's actually a lot more logically consistent to a modern audience than people realize, yeah. but it's not something that can be done like it, it's it's worth its own time and 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 for stuff like general setting um like humbleness aside i don't think anyone else past or present has spent as much time thinking about how the setting has to work to make sense than i have like i'm sure the current team some of whom are alumni of my team have put thought into it it's just i was on it for so many years with that is my primary focus that there probably aren't very many people who've just thought about it as much. <laughs>